Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I want to get to our next guest right away, Ron Sanchez, Executive Vice President, Chief Information, uh, Chief Investment Officer for Fiduciary Trust Company International. Ron, thanks so much for joining us here. Boy, when you have a volatile week like this week, we've got, you know, two, three, four percent moves every day in equity indices. What's the conversation like with your portfolio managers? Do you buy the dips? Do you sell the rips? Do you add the names you like? What's the conversation like? Uh, <clears throat> thank you and good morning and thanks for having me on. Um, obviously, these are challenging um, conversations. Uh, markets are particularly complicated right now. And you mentioned a week like we've had, nonetheless, uh, the, uh, sort of the profile we've had on a year-to-day basis. Um, t- this week would be described as um, almost violently unchanged. Um, and so we are um, positioned uh, close to neutral here. Um, and um, I, I, I'm not sure that uh, we have actually seen uh, the lows here. I would say, though, that we're preparing both portfolio managers and clients to continue to see a challenging environment unfold over the next couple of months. And the reason I say that is I, I think what some of the major challenges uh, for the economy and for policymakers, um, you don't necessarily get a degree of clarity uh, in the next um, month or two. Um, and it's really a second half development. So I, I think we need to sort of buckle up um, and continue to see um, volatile markets and um, most likely unchanged markets here as we sort of choppy for the next month or two. Ron, what does it mean to you that we see the 10-year yield back above 3% for the first time in years? It's it, it's actually extraordinary to think about just the magnitude. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of the year, we've essentially doubled. Uh, we were 147 at, at uh, or call it one and a half, and now we're at three. I think what we're experiencing um, is a rapid um, acceleration of, of monetary policy. Um, and again, as it's been talked about, uh, the Fed is is in fact um, behind the curve, and they are in major catch-up mode. Um, and I think the 10-year, as well as the two-year for that matter, are, um, I wouldn't necessarily say ahead, but more mature in the normalization of interest rates. And so what I mean by that is the Federal Reserve, again, moved this week for the second time. But the interest rate complex is already reflecting um, a continuation of that tightening throughout year-end. And I think that markets, uh, in terms of tightening financial conditions, probably are, um, uh, I wouldn't say all, uh, but reflect about 80% of the tightening cycle that will inevitably occur um, within the next uh, six to 12 months. All right. So as the Fed uh, focuses on battling inflation, let's think about economic growth and the impact that could have on economic growth. Do you have a recession in your model? Do you have stagflation coming into your model? How do you think about economic growth? 
So currently, um, economic growth is um, is really solid, and I think the underpinnings, if you will, um, from a both corporate and consumer fundamentals balance sheet um, wage growth uh, will remain solid. So we do not uh, expect um, over the next 12 months an economic recession. We do expect, given tightening financial com- conditions, um, high inflation, uh, which will create, and high energy costs, which will create some de- demand destruction, as we move further away from the fiscal stimulus um, that was re- uh, that we experienced um, uh, last year, um, I do think that we are definitely going to experience a moderating uh, economic backdrop and a convergence over the balance of the year as the economy moderates um, and supply uh, issues sort of abate uh, over the second half of the year. I think we'll see a better realignment of economic growth and and the ability to to produce, which should ease inflationary pressures. But again, that's the second half story. As we get so many superlatives um, that that compare what's happening now to 2008, 2009, I wonder what your thoughts are on the housing market. I mean, everyone seems so sanguine, um, but prices, you know, people are paying any price that sellers want as Paul can attest to, having recently mm-hmm. sold his crib. And um, now we're seeing mortgage rates at 5.3%. At what point um, does this housing market start to look problematic? Um, I think today. Um, I think the, we, you know, we talked about um, the 10-year doubling. The same could be said for mortgage rates. As you pointed out, we are north of, of 5%. Um, and we have been in a sort of um, a pandemic-induced um, housing market. And so um, there's very little supply. Um, and affordability, though, has meaningfully changed in the last six months. And I do think that on its own, um, the demand wasn't sustainable. Um, it was clearly reflective of, of a shift uh, and a preference uh, for, for housing post-pandemic and work from home. I think that will moderate. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily – you want to probably make a distinction between price – um, and, um, and and sort of volume. Um, so I, I think that um, we're probably going to see a, a peak in, in housing. Uh, prices probably, um, can, it's really difficult to envision uh, prices continuing t- uh, to surge um, during the second half of the year. But I think more importantly, um, given the low supply, I do think it comes off the boil, so to speak, um, and maybe a modest pullback. But the leverage from a consumer standpoint uh, in, relative to 08 is, is not comparable. So again, headwinds from housing uh, and consumption, again, will moderate this economy. And I actually think that's most uh, most favorable. We do not want to run hot. Uh, so the most interest rate sensitive sectors will show it first. And, and I think housing is a prime example. All right, Ron, we're pretty much through the earnings season for the S&P 500, but you know, more than 80% of the companies have reported. Any key takeaways from you? Anything that changed your investment outlook? No, I think we had, uh, what we received here is validation uh, for, from companies that the current environment um, is robust. Um, we've seen uh, mostly beats both in the top line and bottom line. But what is sort of irking markets and cleaning ourselves is the lack of clarity for the second half of the year. Um, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a challenge for businesses. I think it's a challenge for consumers, and it's certainly um, a challenging for, uh, environment for investors. There is necessarily no model here um, as you move from seeing rates adjust so quickly, um, a sort of reopening 
2.0 in the economy here as, as uh, we sort of move at least temporarily past post-COVID and sort of a, a, a you know, a, a, um, a pickup in consumer demand. Um, yep. But not, but uh, again, it's a lack of clarity. Um, but the under underpinnings right. at the corporate corporate level are pretty good. All right, Ron. Good, good stuff there. Ron Sanchez, EVP and CIO, Fiduciary Trust Company International. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Again, uh, non-farm payrolls came in better than expected, 428,000. Consensus was 380,000. So pretty good number there. Um, we had uh, wages also on the rise year over year, about 5.5%. So some pretty solid numbers there. Let's dig under the hood on those numbers. Uh, Joni Biley, Chief Workforce Analyst at EmployBridge, joins us. Joni, what were your key takeaways? What from seems on the surface like some pretty good uh, employment numbers? Well, it was. It was a strong report, better than expected, as you mentioned. And, you know, it's great to see that we're still having – job creation. I was a little nervous that we might not see that big of a number, and it's not because of demand. Uh, certainly, we, we see a very, very strong demand, but there's still a tremendous challenge with supply of labor and, and getting people actually back to work. So, you know, when you dig into this report, though there there is a lot of good news, my biggest concern in this report remains to be with labor participation. We just don't have enough you know, people participating in the labor force in the United States to meet the demand for today. And, and that Why just is continues that? to be such a challenge. Is, is, know, that, numbers, Jenny, is that because yeah. um, employers aren't paying enough? People are still sitting on the sidelines because they want more money? Well, I think it's a number of issues um, that are really impacting the labor force. Um, we are seeing wages move up nicely, but they're not keeping up with inflation. I do believe that due to inflation, we are going to see people forced to have to participate back in the workforce. Um, but there's there's a number of reasons why it's so low. You know, baby boomers have been retiring. Uh, the younger generation still maybe staying in school for additional education before, you know, just getting a four-year degree and, and getting um, into the workforce 
maybe staying for a master's or continuing education. So the numbers are low there. We see women have opted out of the workforce, um, and it's it, that has declined since the pandemic. Um, so it's, it really is a number of factors. The other issue is we're hearing that people don't want to come back to work. Um, they don't want to come back into the office. They want flexibility. They want the ability to work, you know, remotely. Um, and that is very appealing to um, workers today. So companies that are trying to attract talent, you know, should think about if they could offer that option. That is very attractive uh, to people right now. Joni, we have the participation rate, which you uh, called out at 62.2%. What's a healthy number in your mind? Well, I think, you know, at all-time highs, we're probably 67% uh, um, was the highest it ever was. So, you know, it would be great to see us get back up even to um, 64 65%. Um, but unfortunately, that number just you know, hasn't hasn't been moving. We've we've been at this level um, really since the pandemic. It was a little bit higher before the pandemic. We were um, hovering around maybe 63, getting up closer to 64 percent. But it would be great to see that number closer to, to 65. In, in terms of uh, wage increases, we saw, I think, 0.3 percent month over month, um, year over year, 5.5 percent. In normal times, that would be good to great, right, for labor. Right. Um, but but yeah. right now, it's, it's, it's barely half of inflation. Are workers having a really difficult time keeping up? Workers are, especially the hourly workers. You know, when you look at the jobs, more of the blue-collar jobs or lower-level jobs, it's having a tremendous impact to those workers and to their families. And we all see it, right? The price at the pump, the price at the grocery store, just everything is costing more money and their dollar just doesn't go as far. So that is a real challenge. I think when you look at the lower to middle, you know, range for workers um, when, when it comes to salaries, they're right. feeling it and they're getting hit the hardest. Um, now I will say employers are, are realizing it. I, we are seeing on the front lines that employers are increasing pay, and they're doing it for a number of reasons. It's not only to attract new workers, but they're having to do it to retain their current workers. We've all heard about, you know, the great resignation. I mean, that's real, and that's here, and it's a yep. big challenge for employers today. So they are raising wages. I'm surprised we're not seeing more of that reflected in yep. this report. Joni, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We always appreciate getting your perspective here on these jobs numbers. Uh, Joni Biley, Chief Workforce Analyst for Employee Bridge. And again, a better than expected uh, number there, 428,000 jobs uh, added last month. So that's a solid number. Uh, we've seen some good, good recovery, 95% presumably of all those jobs that were lost during a pandemic now recovered. Let's get to our next guest, right out. Uh, Kurt Sievers, president and CEO of NXP Semiconductors. All right, Kurt, you're in here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. We appreciate you making the trip in here. Semiconductor shortage. I just don't get it because my feeling is you guys have got floor after floor after floor in your headquarters of MBA students and graduates who do nothing but forecast semiconductor chip demand. How did the industry 
fall so short and why is it taking so long to get back to normalcy? Yeah, so uh, thanks, Matt and Paul. Indeed, um, demand is exploding. In our particular case, with a very, very strong exposure to automotive and industrial, so half, half of our company is automotive, the most striking trend which lets demand explode is actually the trend to XEVs, so electric vehicles, hybrid electric vehicles. Uh, um, together with premium cars, make now 30% of the total car production this year. So 30% of all cars being produced this year are electric or premium. I'm stressing that because electric and premium vehicles have two to three times more semiconductor content than a conventional vehicle. That wasn't really foreseen, especially not through the COVID breakdowns in, in early 20, uh, 2020. Now, just to put it in perspective, because it feels like we are crippled from a supply perspective, not quite true. We did grow our automotive revenues last year by 44% year on year, and that is not including pricing. So I just want to be sure this is okay. raw volume up. In the first quarter of this year, we had earnings uh, just this week. We did grow another 22%, and I just guided another 26% year-on-year growth in the second quarter. And second half of this year, again, is going to be larger. Long story short, we ship record volumes quarter after quarter. However, the demand is even growing steeper. Now, you asked, what's the way to fix this, how to, uh, how to get out of this situation? The most structural way, obviously, is building new chip factories. And as a matter of fact, it takes, say, four to five years to build a chip factory, qualify all the tools until product comes out. So you see record capex numbers in the industry. The industry is building new factories. The chip sector here in the US, the chip sector in Europe is helping that big time. Um, but it's going to take well into, I'd say, 24 until that is going to yield from that perspective, a supply demand balance. So, wow, not till 2024 do we see equilibrium. And to be honest, I'm hearing that from automotive CEOs as well, um, that we're still gonna have shortages throughout this year into next year. Um, what about NXP in terms of CapEx, in terms of building new factories, in terms of an equilibrium for, for you and your customers? Yeah, let me start in the short term. Um, for this year, in all fairness, we are sold out. Um, mm. So it's just, it's just nothing. We, any, any revenue growth this year is only gated by supply. Um, from a CapEx perspective, um, we hiked up our CapEx to 10% of revenue. And that in an environment where our revenue was massively growing. Historically, we've had 4 to 5% CapEx spending. So it doubled from a percentage perspective, but actually in dollar terms, much more since our revenue was growing so much. Um, and that is, we, we have two sorts of factories. We have back-end test and assembly factories, and we have chip factories. So you, you first produce the chip, then you have to assemble the chip in order to ship it to customers. The back-end test and assembly is relatively quick, so we are in equilibrium. So we, th there is enough uh, capacity. The other half of our 10% CapEx spending goes indeed in, in building out our chip facilities. We have chip fac uh, three chip factories here in the US, one in Europe, uh, another joint venture in, uh, in Singapore, and that takes time. So the investments from last year will start to yield product next year. What we invest this year, and I talked about big numbers, will start to yield product in 24, mm. 25. Uh, and that's the reason why I said there is a phase shift between the CapEx investment 
anti-equilibrium. Now, I have to say all of that, of course, considers a continued strong demand. Now, the chip industry has always been cyclic. Yep. Um, so it cannot be excluded that at some point there is also at least a softening in demand. And in some markets, we don't serve them, but in the PC market, in the, in the mobile market, I'm hearing that there is already some softening. That could be a short to midterm relief because some of the Kurt, technologies being used for, for mobile and compute could be fungible into Kurt, let's, automotive. Let's focus on automotive because, frankly, who cares about the other stuff? Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt's a big car guy. <laughs> I, just, I, I finally put in the order for my new truck. I got a Chevy coming that has heated and cooled seats. It's got heated steering wheel. It's got front and rear park assist. Um, automated cruise control, all of these things, lane keep assist, all of these things need chips. And that's why, you know, many of the orders are coming without the luxurious extras. And they're saying the dealer will retrofit them later. Which are the chips that you're selling? What, what are you allowing car makers to offer customers? Actually, everything you just said and more. <laughs> so we, we are... We are the largest microcontroller and microprocessor supplier to the automotive industry. And uh, there is no application in the car which would not need microcontrollers and microprocessors. And I, I have to agree with you, there is unfortunately some defeaturing uh, going on because the priority is, of course, on the essential drive functions. I mean, you cannot, you cannot run the car without um, engine management, hybrid, uh, hybrid management, without electronic brakes, etc. Uh, which means there is some defeaturing when it's about seat electronics, uh, wireless charging for your iPhone uh, yep. in, in the dashboard. Uh, and trust me, this is as painful for me as it is for you <laughs> as a customer. I would love to make the business. Yep. We just don't have the capacity. All right. Kurt Sievers, thank you so much for joining us. Kurt Sievers, president and CEO of NXP Semiconductors in the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. We appreciate him coming in. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You know, we had a really good jobs number this morning, so the labor market seems to be in shape. That's a good thing. Uh, we've got inflation. That's a, a bad thing. And we've got a Federal Reserve that is uh, getting increasingly aggressive in raising rates, and that presumably could be a challenge as well. 
Does that all end up to a recession or stagflation? I don't know, but I know somebody might have some good opinions there. Jeffrey Cleveland, Director and Chief Economist at Payton and Regal. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us here. In your 22, maybe even 23 outlook, do you have a recession baked in? Not yet. For me, the best real-time indicator for growth is actually this payroll survey. So now we have that data through April, and you know the three-month average still above 500,000 in terms of monthly job growth. That is a really that is really solid momentum. So in the in the near term, I think the U.S. economy has good momentum. The main I think the question is people say recession. Clients ask about it. The question becomes, okay, what's going to be the cause? And by and large, people point to the Fed. The Fed is going to tighten too much. And that might happen, but it's going to – I still think that's down the road. I mean we are now at 1% on the upper end of the Fed funds range. I don't think neutral – I think neutral is around 3.5, maybe a little bit higher than that. So they need to get to 3.5 before I'm going to get overly concerned about tightening too much and causing a downturn. So I I think – that concerns are premature. At the same time, Jeffrey, we're seeing mortgage rates now at 5.3 percent. And I know there are a lot of home buyers who are itching to way overspend um, if they were able to find anything out there who now are saying, you know what, I I don't think I can. I really can't stretch enough to afford that. Yeah, I think you are a, a healthy critic of my view. You would say, hey, the Fed funds rate is not the rate to follow. The you need to look at financial conditions, how it's hitting the consumer right now. And I think case, you know, exhibit A is the mortgage rate. Uh, we were at what, 250 on 30 year fixed in the summer of 2020. So we're up uh, almost 300 basis points. This is going to hit the marginal buyer. I mean, the, I guess the tricky thing is it will slow housing. The marginal buyer is going to step away. Demand will pull back. So we'll take some of the excess out of housing. The existing owner, though. I mean, if you have locked in a 30-year fix, this is not hitting you your pocketbook at all. Um, you're sort of insulated from the recent rise in prices, so it might not have this, you know, broader impact on consumer spending that people fear. So, Jeffrey, also today in, in the in the data we got uh, regarding employment, 5.5% uh, average average hourly earnings on a year-over-year basis. That 5.5% growth, ordinarily, I would say that's pretty darn good. But we've got inflation, headline inflation, north of 8%. So my real wages went down. How do you think about that? How do you think the Fed Reserve thinks about that? Especially for lower income people, right? Yep. The only thing they're buying is gas and food and paying rent. So for them, inflation is much higher than 8%. And they're just not keeping up. That's right. I mean, I think one uh, counter argument to that would be to look at core inflation, you know, so closer to 6% year on year, the 5.5% average hourly earnings, you're, you're, you're getting close to keeping up. Um, I, I do yeah, but Jeffrey, those are the, the, the core inflation excludes all of the things those people need to buy, right? Yes, it, it <laughs> you, does. You, 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 who cares what core inflation is? You can't eat an iPad, as someone famously told Ben Bernanke, right? You've, this you've is, got to put gas my, in the car and food in your mouth. This is my favorite uh, topic of conversation. The reason I think economists focus on food and energy excluded that, you know, the core measure is not to ignore food and energy. It's just that they tend to be volatile in the shorter run and they could be down as much as they're up. So gas prices could be down uh, in the months ahead. And then if you're looking at the underlying trend, you have to focus on core. I actually would prefer investors not to do the traditional core measures, but to look at trimmed mean 
inflation. That's a better measure of core because, to your point, it doesn't just exclude arbitrarily food and energy. It excludes whatever are the outliers in that given month. So we look at trimmed mean PCE on a year-on-year basis, for example, it's 3.7%. So it's a much better shape. That is ultimately where those headline measures will end up over a 12-month rise, in, in my view. So that's – I know it's tough in the short run, but that's kind of where we're going to end up. And if we get – I hear what you're saying, say but you know what? We had we had Simon Kennedy on uh, – sorry, Will Kennedy on yesterday from Bloomberg News saying that if it weren't for the lockdowns in China, Brent crude would be closer to 139 you know, than where it is now. You think gas prices, you think oil prices are really going to come down in the next few months? Well, it's I think just looking at the history of food and energy prices, you do tend to have pretty volatile swings in those in those categories. So, on I think on a long enough time horizon, it's possible. So, long enough time horizon for me is you're talking about your 12 month um, the next 4 6 weeks, next month, I don't I don't know. That's that's more difficult to say. But I think you know, looking more at those trend mean measures of core inflation is probably a fair estimate of where inflation will get to in a, in a year's time. That would still be, let's say, roughly a 4% um, inflation rate. But if average hourly earnings is 55 to 6%, then the, the U.S. consumer is doing pretty well. I think it's, it's right. also worth contrasting that with what you're seeing overseas. U.S. consumer is in much better footing than what we're seeing in either continental Europe or the U.K., where real incomes are actually declining, which I think you know, is the, the point that you were keying in on. Hey, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, Jeffrey Cleland, director and chief economist at Payton and Regal. We appreciate getting his thoughts here on his economic outlook. And again, you know, I'll be interested to see, Matt, if we get more and more economists start to say, yeah, I am kind of thinking about a recession. You know, uh, right now, I think it's a little bit of a minority, but I wonder how that's going to evolve over the next several weeks and months. Yeah, no, I see. Um, I just see base case percentages rising for a recession, you know, from 35% up to 50%. I see more and more pessimists. Great to hear from Jeff because it's 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 nice to hear from somebody on the other side of that argument for for once. I feel like we talk to people who are more concerned about a slowdown, if not a recession, at least you know, a, a slowdown yep. in growth, a, a stagnation and um, that coupled with inflation is just bad news especially for lower wage earners. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.